0: Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Today we have part four of our series on the book of Genesis, and this one is entitled Original Blessing. We're looking at kind of the two places that people often start with their understanding of the gospel and theology. Genesis 3, which we're going to get to in a few weeks, or Genesis 1, which is what we're looking at and just a reminder, this coming Sunday, we're not going to have a regular scheduled service. Instead, we are going to be fanning out into the community to collect uh, bags for our bag hunger food drive for the Covington Food Bank and bringing bags of groceries back to the church where we will have a barbecue. So join us for that and uh, let's head to the home. We'll show was uh, a little kid some of y'all will understand this uh, because did anybody remember Saturday morning cartoons and I love Saturday morning cartoons when I was a kid I'd watch the Smurfs and I'd watch remember Mr. T he had a cartoon remember Mr. T? A pity the fool There was Mr. T, there was the Justice League, and there was all kinds of great stuff. But the problem is that my house on Saturday mornings, it wasn't just cartoon morning, it was clean the house day. Did you grow up in houses where you had to clean everything on Saturday mornings? I have not been very good at continuing that tradition with my own family. Uh, But Then that, too. There's that. But... So when I was a kid, I would love to get up for Saturday morning cartoons, and I would watch the cartoons, and I could sit there for five hours, except, you know, after about an hour of it, the parents, you know, my parents would be like, it's time to vacuum the house, dust the furniture, and do all that, and I was like, oh, my goodness, and the older that I got, the worse it got, because as you, you know, as a guy, as you get into, like, your preteen years, now you can push a lawnmower, right, which is great, because I got my own lawnmower pusher now, in my son Ezra, <laughs> And so it goes, the cycle. Uh, And so I I, I remember when I first started mowing the lawn as a kid, oh, it was the worst thing in the world. Remember that? Like there's something like when you're a, a teenager and you're forced to mow the lawn, it's like exponentially worse than it is normally. But now that I have my own lawn as an adult, I find that, one of the best forms of cheap satisfaction I can get in my life is mowing the lawn. You know what I'm talking about? No, I don't even have a riding lawnmower. I did, I did finally get one that's that self-propelled because <laughs> my neighbors were making fun of me for the first few years. Like They're like, dude, check you out, man. You are struggling. I'm like, some people have gym memberships. I have this push mower. And uh, I'd be out there sweating and red and then and purple and... Um, but I, I got to tell you, there is nothing like, you know, in the middle of the summer, mowing the lawn, sweating, hard work, you hate doing it, but when you get done, and I sit on my back porch, and I gaze over my domain, my own personal little garden of Eden, and, and have a glass of water or a beer or whatever, and just just look out over it, that, that moment of satisfaction, it, there's just nothing like it. And it's a cheap thrill. <laughs> And when we do that, the reason why we get that satisfaction really goes back to Genesis 1. Whenever we create something, bring order into chaos, we are actually participating with one of the intrinsic ways that God has created us. We are actually bearing the image of our Heavenly Father. You know, one of the refrains that you see over and over in Genesis chapter 1. This, this may be our last day in Genesis chapter 1. This is my fourth message on this passage, but we're hopefully next time I speak we'll be in Genesis chapter 2. But one of the refrains you see over and over in Genesis chapter 1 is God creates something, and then it says, and God looked at what he created, and he saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. I remember as a young Christian, I would go to a church service or some kind of meeting, and somebody would be speaking, and somebody doing music, and sometimes I'd hear a song or a message, and I'd go up and tell the person at the end, man, that was amazing, that was really good, really inspiring, and the person would say, oh, no, 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 it's not me, it's just Jesus. You ever do that? Okay, I came up from a different world. But there was kind of this false humility, like you couldn't ever like be proud of anything you did because pride is the is, is the worst of all sins and stuff um but but there was this sense of like if you complimented somebody, oh no, it wasn't me, it was Jesus, no, that was you, you worked hard, you did that it's okay to be satisfied with something you do actually, I think that's healthy that's not the bad kind of pride that 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 the Bible is worried about you know that's not the The pride that exalts yourself against God. I mean, if you start thinking, like, I did so good, I'm God, that's a problem. But anytime you create something, whether it's cooking a meal or doing a building project or mowing your lawn or or writing a song, and, and you get it to a point where by your intellect, your imagination, your will, your emotion, even your physical being, you finally get that thing to a point where you can look at it and say, that's pretty good. That's awesome. But you know where that comes from? It comes from your heavenly father. That's the way God is. I just, I love thinking about this. God is deliberate and intentional about creating everything and making stuff. And at the end of the day, he looks back and he goes, wow, I did pretty good today. This is good. He looked at it. He saw that it was good. He contemplated it. You know, that's what contemplation is. You, you you go outside and you look at something and you consider it and you th- look at what makes it. God contemplates his own creation and says, this is good. And that's one of the things that sets apart Genesis from other ancient Near East creation stories. I, I've mentioned a few times in the last few weeks, that there's a lot of, a lot of similarities between the Genesis story and the, the Sumerian, uh, some of the things in the Enuma Elish and the Epic of Gilgamesh, some of the other ancient stories that existed in Babylon and Samaria at that time. There's a lot of similarities. And some people have said, well, because of these similarities, it's obvious that the Bible is just a ripoff of those things. But here's the deal. Though there's, a, though there's similarities, because they all inhabited the same world at the same time, the differences are striking. And you're not going to find any ancient story that has God like this. You know, in the Sumerian creation stories, creation was like the result of carnage between warring deities. There's a dead god and they create the world out of this dead god and you know how create how why why humans were created according to the sumerians because the gods were tired of feeding themselves and they needed somebody to feed them and take care so humans were just basically created to be slaves that's the sumerian story but in genesis we see something different we see that the god who creates the universe is intrinsically good. And not only is God good, but the very creation that God creates is good. The repetition of this phrase, and God saw that it was good, 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 and God saw that it was good. And And then finally, on the sixth day of creation, after God has created human beings in his image, God looks at it and it says, not just that it was good, that it was very good. This is a good world. Oh, come on. It's a good world. Filled with good people. <laughs> oh, God, no, nobody's agreeing with me. You ain't seen some of the people I have seen. <laughs> That's where the story starts. And notice this, though. God doesn't say that it was perfect. We tend to think of Genesis as like God created everything perfect. He didn't create it perfect. He created it really good. And really good means that it's not a static, perfect state. It means that we can interact with God's own creation, and we can co-create. We can take the raw stuff that God gives us, and we can make buildings and music and poetry, and we can move creation forward with God's plans. God's world is a good world. I was reading something by a guy named... I think it's a guy... Irugina? Maybe it's a girl. Probably a girl. Irugina. Anybody looking? Uh, y'all got a name for your kid, Sarah? Irugina. Irugina. I love this quote. 19th century Irish teacher says that if goodness were extracted from the universe, all would cease to exist. All things would cease to exist, for goodness is not simply a feature of life, it is the very essence of life. Goodness gives rise to being just as evil leads to non-being or to destruction and a denial of life's sacredness. Definitely a woman, yeah, okay, we're all agreed on that. Eerie Gina, it's a woman. <laughs> Oh, it was a man. Gender confusion up here. (laughs) But the problem is, as much as we see that God is good and God's creation is good and that human beings were created in God's image, the problem is that when it comes to modern Christianity in the United States, that's not the part where... That's not where modern Christianity typically begins. If you've grown up in Protestantism or evangelicalism, it's likely that when you heard the gospel, the gospel was something like this. This is an evil world, and God, if you will profess uh, belief in Jesus intellectually, that's the primary place where we focus. If you just agree with the fact that Jesus died on a cross for your sins, then you get to go to hell, Heaven. <laughs> When you die, you get to go somewhere else and live as a disembodied spirit in the hereafter for eternity. And that's the gospel I grew up with. But you know where that gospel starts? It starts in Genesis chapter 3. It starts with the fall, as if the fall is the main problem that Jesus came to deal with, as if, as if that's the main thing that defines us, is we are problems to be solved rather than people created in the image of God. You know, one of the first heresies that ever popped up in the church, it was taking shape. Uh, it, was, it was a religious, f- Greek philosophical religious concept that was beginning to gain steam at the end of the first century and really uh, became quite a movement in the second, ser- second and third century. It was called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism, there's a lot of different varieties of it, but here's what Gnostics believe, and this was treated as, the, as the, one of the greatest threats to the early church. Gnostics believe this. One, the world is evil. The entire created world, including human beings, were evil. And that in order to escape this world, we need secret knowledge, gnosis. Gnosis is the Greek word for knowledge. And if we get the secret knowledge, then our souls, which are trapped in these corruptible bodies, will get to go on to a purely spiritual state. Now, as you hear that, you might say, that sounds an awful lot like the gospel, Exactly, because even though even though Gnosticism never actually uh, became quite a religious movement, that, you know that existed to today. Gnosticism has been growing up next to the church this whole time. In fact, Gnostics there was actually Gnostic Christians back in the in the second century, and they they actually believed that Jesus, even though he looked like a flesh and blood human, he was purely a spiritual being. And even though it looked like Jesus died on the cross, he really didn't die on the cross. And even though it looked like Jesus resurrected, the closest thing to to, to resurrection that the Gnostics would see was that, that Jesus probably rose from the grave and ended up being something like, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi and the Empire Strikes Back. You know, remember that? Obi-Wan Kenobi gets killed by Darth Vader, and then he's a, a ghost walking around giving wise counsel. That's what Gnostics kind of thought of Jesus. Like anything that looked like an actual flesh and blood resurrection was just merely an illusion because Jesus, if Jesus was God, he couldn't have indwelt flesh and blood like us. But the early church people, the writers of the Gospels, the early church fathers, they were clear on this. Jesus was both God and human. And when Jesus rose from the grave on the third day, as we celebrated last, last Sunday, Jesus rose in a physical body. Now it was upgraded. He could walk through walls and stuff. I mean, he had was certain benefits. But Jesus was flesh and blood. And when Thomas heard that the, the disciples had seen Jesus, and, and he's like, you guys are crazy. I'll believe it when I can actually touch his, his, his wrist and, and the wounds in his side. I'll, I'll believe it then. And Jesus says, okay, check it out. Feel, Thomas. Thomas touches Thomas touches his, his physical body and he saw that Jesus really was risen from the dead. And I think one of the reasons that Gnosticism has has become such a part of modern Christianity, and so so the Gnostic message is this if you just give belief, believe in Jesus intellectually, you get the, the wisdom, the knowledge of Jesus, then your soul gets to go to a, a spiritual place might be a nice idea, but it's not Christian. What is, what, what, what is the gospel then? Well, the gospel really matters when you start at the right place. And we don't start with Genesis chapter 3 with, with the fall. We actually go back to Genesis chapter 1. This is not a story about original sin. It's a story about original blessing. Because when God created, it was good. It was really Really good. We were created by a good God who created a good creation and who created us in his image. When we start in goodness, we realize that this whole thing isn't just about dealing with my personal sin so that I can escape this evil world and live a non-material existence in the hereafter, but instead it is about following Jesus so that we can be conformed to the image of Christ that we can come back online with God's original calling, that we may be his image bearers in this world, that we can participate in the Spirit's work of restoring creation as God's original intent. You may go like, I don't know, man. It sounds like you're preaching against the gospel. Well, when did Jesus share the gospel like that? Like, if you believe intellectually in in the sayings that I'm telling you, you get to go to heaven when you die. When did he do that? When did anybody in the early church preaching, Paul, Peter, when did they do that? I mean, think about this. When when Peter was called to follow Jesus, Jesus is out there preaching by the Sea of Galilee. He borrows Peter's boat, and he pushes out from the shore so he could address the crowds. And and at the end of the message, he says, Peter, I want you to follow me. And instead of catching fish, we're going to catch people. And Peter drops his nets, and he follows Jesus. That's the gospel. Notice what Jesus didn't say. Jesus didn't say, Peter, if you were to be out in your boat on the Sea of Galilee tonight and a storm blows up and capsizes your boat and you drown, where are you going to spend eternity? Peter, you need to confess your sins to me and invite me to live in your heart. I know that sounds weird, Peter, but do it. And you'll get to go to heaven when you die. Peter, Jesus didn't say that. What did Jesus say to Peter? Follow me. And we're going to catch people. This is the gospel. It's following Jesus. It's not even intellectually agreeing with everything, and getting it lined up. It's following Jesus. I've I mentioned this before, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the, the famous German the- theologian who was, who was uh, writing a lot of his theology in the time of Hitler's rise and actually heading up a lot of the resistance, he says he, he made this note. He says, we don't learn who God is and then follow Jesus. We follow Jesus and we learn who God is. That's faith. That's the gospel. That's what God's calling us into. I know. I know. We're we're beyond Holy Week and Easter, but I want to. I want to. I want to give a little example of this. If our call. Going back to Genesis 1 is to be image bearers, to participate with God in ruling and reigning, to help move God's original plans forward. If that's what it is, then then what does this look like in Jesus? Well, when Jesus is making the triumphal entry into Jerusalem that we celebrate during Holy Week, Jesus comes in not like the regular rulers of his day. Because most rulers, you know roman officials when they'd come into town man it'd be pomp and circumstances they'd have a you know a bunch of soldiers riding on war horses and and there'd be all kinds of things announcing you know here comes the ruler jesus and his triumphal entry he comes in riding a little donkey a foal of a donkey it says i think about this i'm not a big dude but how ridiculous it would look if i was riding on a little donkey It's not going to look like spectacular. Oh, here comes the grand king. Make way. It's going to be like, dude. (laughs) I think Jesus was actually doing a little bit of prophetic theater. He was actually mocking the power of Rome by coming in on a donkey. But you know what people did? They saw what Jesus was doing, and they began laying down their garments, and they began laying down palm branches, and they began shouting out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, son of David. They're calling him the Messiah. And the Pharisees get upset at this. They're like, this is heresy. This is blasphemy. He can't take credit for being the son of God, for being the Messiah. He can't do this. They said, Jesus, why don't you shut these people up? Tell them that they're they're, they're blaspheming God. And Jesus says, if they shut up, even the rocks are going to cry out. What? What does that mean? It means, well... Romans 8, 18. Paul writes, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy comparing with the glory about to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to a decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And Paul goes on to say in Romans 8, 28, We know that all things work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. You know what the gospel is? It is being conformed into the image of Christ. That's where this thing is going. It's not about going to heaven when you die. That's not the the point of the story. You 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 know what we prayed this morning? The Lord's prayer. What did Jesus say? Pray this way. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When you go to Revelation 21 and 22, guess what? It's the kingdom of God come to earth. Creation is restored. This is one of the biggest themes of the whole Bible. And we miss it because we are trapped in Gnosticism. And we're starting at the wrong place in Scripture. And we think that this is all a project to just, you know, fix us so we can go somewhere else where the action is. The action is right here, folks, in this good creation. Paul says creation is groaning and waiting for the revelation of the children of God. What does that mean? Well, it means that when Jesus was riding his donkey into town and, and, the, and the Pharisees said, if, 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 you, know, you need to shut these people up. And Jesus said, no, if, if you shut them up, the very rocks are going to cry out. Why? Because the image of God is being revealed. And creation itself is starting to tremble and, and, and think that the, 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 the actual creation that God made is actually starting to anticipate this is the time where creation is liberated. What does this tell us? It it means that if we are committed to actually following after Jesus by the Spirit of God, not just going somewhere else when we die, but if we take seriously the challenge of Jesus to live and follow after Jesus in this life, guess what? We are being conformed to the image of Christ. And the whole universe is biased towards us doing that. Oh, that's good stuff, y'all. The whole universe, God's whole created order, wants you to be revealed as a child of God. Now, there's resistance you're going to face when you follow after Jesus. You're going to, it's not going to be easy. But when you follow after Jesus, creation is conspiring with you to make this thing happen. Because when we are revealed as the children of God, creation is freed from the curse of sin. That's where the story is going. And this is where it gets fun. I got to tell you, gospel that's common in America, it's like, I can't really get excited about having angels' wings and sitting on a cloud for eternity. I mean, that'd be cool for a few days. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times, like, I, I probably said this. I'm, Penny, you probably heard it back in the Kaiapha days. If you don't like worship services, you're going to hate heaven because that's all we're going to do for all eternity. I did. <laughs> we guilt people into worshiping say, and, and, and try to use that as a motivation. I'm like, I love worship and everything, but sitting on a cloud with angel wings for all eternity. Like, that's all, you know, I hope you like worship. <laughs> <It's>, that's awful. <laughs> Being conformed into the image of Christ happens as we follow Jesus by the Spirit and we use our gifts, our talents to create, to move God's plan forward, to to extend the realm of shalom that has invaded our own hearts into our families, into our neighborhoods, into our communities. We do that through worship. We do that through service. We do that as a community. We do it individually. But it all starts in goodness. Goodness. And if you've been told your whole life that that following Jesus is really just about dealing with your own personal problems, let me tell you this. Your problems are going to get dealt with as you follow Jesus just the way Peter's problems were dealt with as he followed Jesus. Peter didn't have to get it all together, didn't have to have Jesus figured out, or have every issue in his life figured out. Because you can only repent of the things that you even know to repent of. When I came to Jesus and repented, I repented of the sex, drugs, rock and roll But it took me about 10 years to start seeing my own pride, which was even worse. Even repenting, even knowing the sin in our own hearts doesn't happen of just trying to dig those things up. It happens as the light is revealed to us and in us by Jesus Christ. But it's a story about God's goodness through and through. God loves you, and he created you good. And he created this world good. And yeah, we're all a mess and things are broken, but let's get on with joining what the Spirit is doing and putting the world back together, starting with our own hearts and letting that spill out. I'm going to close with a... I love this line. There's a singer-songwriter named Joe Pug from... I think he's from Austin. He's got this song called Hymn 101. He says, but will you recognize my face when God's awful grace strips me of my jacket and my vest and reveals all the treasure in my chest. That's good stuff. All right, why don't y'all stand up? (laughs) I went over today. I'm sorry. If you're in here this morning, and when it comes to to, to Christ, you've just treated Jesus as just some knowledge that you need to know in your head so you can go somewhere else and you, when you die, and, and you really would like to actually start following Jesus, I just encourage you today, maybe you want to come up to the front and pray with somebody after this over. I'm not going to point anybody out, but I'd love to pray with you this morning that, that you could actually join in moving towards Jesus as a part of this community, because that's where the good stuff is. Let me pray for you. Lord God, we thank you so much. You are a good God. You're so much better than we can ask or think or imagine. Lord, and you are a good creator. Lord, your wonderful creation is full of mystery, mystery, and beauty and intricacies. Lord, and you've called us to, to partner with you in setting the world right. Lord, as we pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, let us be part of the answer to that prayer because of your work in us. Holy Spirit, continue to conform us to the image of Christ. Reveal yourself in and through us, Lord, in what we do, in our actions, in our attitudes, Lord. Let your shalom be unleashed in our lives, God. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.